Make sure you check out our online store where we work with our graphic designer to create stunning garment and product designs that feature a wide variety of aircraft types such as British fighters, World War II aircraft, American bombers, Russian fighters and much more. You can pick your favourite designs and personalise any items within our Redbubble store that range from clothing right the way through to stationery. All of our designs feature our logo so you can show your support for the channel while getting a quality product. You can head to our website aircrewinterview.tv and click store or go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash AC interview. Thank you and enjoy. here when did you first become interested in aviation hi mike uh, you know my, I, I was born and raised in pakistan and uh, it's uh, probably every kid's dream in pakistan to become a pilot in the air force and stuff but uh funny enough i i came from a army uh, family my father dad was in the army and infantry officer my two brothers and cousins i had no uh, no desire, I, know, I didn't know much about the Air Force or uh, airplanes, and I had not that burning desire, I saw an airplane fly overhead and that, that. So I, by accident, a friend of mine was going to apply for the Air Force. I was only 16 years old at that time, and the Air Force, they were for a couple of two, three years. They took only after high school, which is, we call it matriculation. So I went with him, and I qualified many, many stages of uh, applications, and finally I did qualify. So it was in 1966. I was born in 49, so I was really uh, uh, 65, actually, that I applied, and I was really 16. And when I went to the academy, I was 16 years and seven months old, and the minimum age was 16 years and five, five months. So I just barely made it by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So can you talk us through some of the aircraft you started training on when you became um, uh, or got commissioned to be an officer? All right. So in the in the in our PF Academy at that time, which is in a uh, place called Resalpur still, uh, we had two uh, basic trainers, uh, T6G and the T37. So uh, each course, the first year was just academics and the parades and all the uh, stuff, and uh, and then uh, the second year in training you started flying, and uh, at that time they randomly chose to split our course. Our, our, the uh, cadets that we were in, in two halves. So one half went to T-37s, one went to T-6G. And fortunately, I went to the T-37s. And uh, not that it would have made any difference because I had never flown before in my life. I'd never even flown on the airliner or never gotten off the ground. But I ended up on the T-37, fortunately, which was, I think, probably a much easier uh, trainer to qualify on. So how long did you spend on your training aircraft before you got posted to a frontline aircraft? Okay, so we did uh, almost 200 hours of uh, basic flight training in the academy. And once you graduated with this coveted wing, then you went to T-33s in, uh, in, um, in Karachi, in Maripur, a school base. And the, the T-33 was basically an uh, instrument trailer. So you had done, all, you had done some instrument uh, flying in uh, on the T-37s too, but then T-33 was basically an instrument trailer, slightly heavier, slightly faster jet. And so did, we did about 90 to 100 hours of uh, T-33. And then 
some people, <clears throat> some uh, pilots, they from there they, they would go to the helicopters or to C-130s or, uh, or you know, be boarded out. And some went to uh, for uh, fighter training on the F-86 to Peshawar, uh, where number 14, uh, number 26 squadron Peshawar. And uh, we did about, uh, I think, 100 and, 120 or something like that hours on the F-86. So they, that was basically uh, fighter training, basic fighter training. Yes, and as our viewers and you know, we're here to talk uh, for half of the interview about the F-86, which was you on the ENF. So what were your first thoughts of the Sabre when you saw it up close? You must have thought, this is cool. So, you know, like I said, I didn't know much about fighter airplanes or the Air Forces before I joined. But after I joined the Academy, and, and, and not to be boastful, but believe me, when I started flying, Flying came naturally to me. I just, you know, kind of adapted to it very, very quickly, and I loved it. And so for every young man at that time in the Air Force or not, the F-86 was for Pakistan Air, Pakistanis and Pakistan Air Force was the the iconic airplane. The, the, because we would be to war with India just recently in 1965, and 86s had performed very, very well with a few heroes to talk about. And so uh, I was, you know, really looking up to uh, the F-86. And uh, so when the first, uh, you know, up close in uh, personal with the 86, I just, it was an awesome airplane, fantastic machine. And with the uh, three guns on each side, three barrels over there. And, and it, 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 there's something about the F-86 that uh, was striking. And I just, of course, I had fallen in love with the airplane even before I started flying. But after I started flying it, more so, and uh, uh, we, did, we did basically basic uh, uh, high and low level uh, uh, combat formations, uh, and then tail chases, a bit of uh, air combat maneuvering, air to ground, uh, work strafing, rocketing, and skip bombing. Now that, that I'm talking of 1968 or early 69. So I was barely 20 years old. And you know, when you when you started doing skip bombing, for example, we used to do skip bombing, which is napalm, which finally later on got uh, uh, prohibited. But we used to practice it 35 feet off the ground at 420 knots. So can you imagine a 20-year-old kid in an F-86 going 35 feet off the ground on the, on the firing range at uh, 420 knots? Now that is amazing, amazing experience. Absolutely. So to hear, what was the role of the actual Sabre in um, the Pakistan Air Force? Because it sounded like it did it all, train it, air to ground, air to air, but was it dedicated to one role more than the other? Yes. Uh, see, the, now the trainer in uh, number 26 squadron, which is basic uh, fighter conversion, they used to call it, fighter conversion school, that was in the F-86F models. The, they were ex-Korean War airplanes, American-built with the leading edge automatic slats and everything, standard F-86. So we had we had a fairly large number of Canadair-built F-86Es, which we call them Es, and these were slightly more powerful Orenda Orenda engines, uh, Canadian engines, slightly more powerful engines, and uh, uh, 
So we, that's the mainstay of like our air to ground or uh, for ground support uh, thing. So w- once, once I finished uh, the basic uh, training conversion onto the F-86, then I got transferred to, uh, to Karachi to F-86E squadron, number 19 squadron. And that was basically a ground attack squadron with limited uh, air uh, defense capability because we had uh, we had mounted uh, uh, sideriders on our 86s uh, the AIM 9Bs and uh, but basically it was a uh, army support ground support uh, missions and they used them extensively for that the Orenda engine gave it uh, some extra boost it was notorious for you had to be very careful if you're from very low pass setting or idle power, if you advance the throttles quickly, the compressors stall. So, and I had one nasty, nasty experience with that, learned from that. And, uh, but uh, that, that's the role of the F-86. We had a whole lot of them at that time. I don't know the exact number, but uh, this could have been excellent. Yeah, we'll get into a bit more detail about the F-86, but just backtracking a bit here. Uh, being obviously a US Air Force aircraft, did you have any American personnel to train you on the aircraft, or was it all done in-house? All done in-house. By the time I got on the F-86s in uh, 69, early 69, my first uh, F-86 squadron, you know, we had bags on experience of experienced pilots on the 86. We had been operating them, I think, since the mid 50s wow. um, some, some, uh, yeah because you know the ex-korean uh, war airplanes came to pakistan so around, i I, I, uh, I think it's what 55 54 55 we had been operating the f-86s so we were one one air force that were really experienced in the a60s absolutely and obviously, um, in your time, was there any sort of simulator, obviously, in your training phase, or was it just basically all book work and then jump in and go? We had, a, they used to call it a linked trainer. It was a really funny contraption. You know, uh, it's just a basic instrument trainer, actually. No specific trainer for the F-86, if you ask mm-hmm. me that. No. Mm-hmm. The, the first flight was a solo flight uh with the with the instructor chasing you, and that was also remarkable. It speaks very highly for the instructors because I think this is a handful. You got a kid sitting in a F eighty six who's never flown the airplane before, and by himself, and you're chasing him and telling him, "Okay, nose up and talk to him right," and especially to make him land the first time, must be a handful. I've not done that. Yeah, so I want to talk about your first uh, flight in it. Like, were you? Sweating buckets at the time when you had to walk out to the aircraft and thinking, "Oh my God, this is real now." I must have, but I don't remember. I, right. I must have been very, very excited about it, and anxious about it, and uh, uh, but I think you know they they put you through all that training and all that stuff. And fortunately, I had a, a very, very kind and very able and very young, actually, maybe he's just five years older than me, instructor to teach me the F-86. I'll plug it in, flight lieutenant Sarfraz, God bless him, he's passed away. And, uh, you know, it was, I wasn't, I must have been very excited, but I don't remember sweating mm-hmm. too much. <laughs> well, I would be, I know that, but... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, so on the takeoff, uh, could you uh, feel the power difference coming from, you know, the trainer aircraft like the T-33, T-37? Uh, T Big time. 
that that was especially the T thirty three was such a lumbering, slow, underpowered airplane, and with these huge, big tip tanks. So on the eighty six, uh, what we they used to do is the instructor, who I, I you know I've got a lot of regard to how they used to train us. So the eighty six, so they used to have a, a, a safety belt. These two, after they've, you know, you've learned everything about the airplane, about the checklists, about procedures, startup, and all done it a few times. And then the instructor used to hang on, stand on your wing route with one foot in the step with a safety belt around him hooked onto your windowsill. So you taxied it out onto the runway. You open power, not to max power, with the canopy open, and then you release brakes. And you started rolling, maybe go up to about 18 knots or so, and then drop the throttle idle and stop the airplane. That was, we used to call it, the, before you actually take off, that was like a, we used to call it a high-speed taxi or whatever, on the runway. So you stop the airplane, and the instructors hang over there. And uh, then you came back and shut down. So the next uh, trip was actually your takeoff. Of course, you felt the power, big uh, time power deficit because you hold brakes, up to a certain RPM and then let go and the airplane used to like uh, plug forward. Beautiful, absolutely magnificent. Yeah, so let's talk about um, how the aircraft handled and what did it do well and not so well? The 86, I don't remember anything that was adverse in its uh, characteristics, which I realized later on, you know, I got more experience throughout a few other airplanes. I can't remember anything really adverse about it. It was just a magnificent airplane to fly, very forgiving. The only thing I would I think back now, either it was by design or by the time we started flying the 86s, the airframe uh, had a lot of wear and tear on it. Our max Gs in uh, air combat or something was limited to five Gs. And that, although the airplane could easily uh, pull more Gs depending on your speed and all, so that, I thought, was a bit of a limiting factor. Uh, other than that, adverse characteristics in its uh, flying, was there was nothing at all about it. Very forgiving. You would uh, stall it. You'd In a turn, you could get in an accelerated stall. It wouldn't, like some of the other straight back airplanes, do an adverse yaw or flick over. No, nothing like that. Beautiful okay. airplane. That's pro- yeah, that's what you want as a pilot, a forgiving airplane, probably. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about some of your training um, you would conduct. You briefly mentioned it before, but was it half half Was it air to air half, and then air to ground, or air to you know uh, reconnaissance? Tell us about that. Your training in the F eighty six. Training F eighty six was basically uh, there was no air to air. It was only uh, in uh, you know when we were converting. It was only uh, high level and low level battle formations advancing on to tail chases to just to get to know the airplane better and to throw the airplane around so that its instructor would be in front and you'd have to you know keep up with him uh, maybe between 300 feet to a thousand feet behind him and he maneuvers it throws it around so you get comfortable with the airplane and then advancing into basic combat maneuvers like you know a after the tail chase, a quarter attack, and you turn into a heavy overshoot, and you reverse yo-yos, high speed, low speed yo-yos, and uh, stuff like that. And uh, so, uh, basic basic combat maneuvers. And then uh, later on, we used to start doing some one versus one uh, air combat, 
and then some basic two versus two, maybe four or five uh, flights of two versus two, where you are uh, on a fighting wing position to, uh, to your leader, and you're just maintaining position and keeping his tail clear, and so that stuff. Very exciting stuff. Then mostly it was air to ground, and uh, we used to do uh, strafing on the, the range was very close to our base in Peshawar, and we used to do air to ground strafing, six guns. We used to normally use just two of them uh, for practice purposes, and that was very, very nice uh, on, on targets. Uh, and then uh, the rocketing, we used to do basic rocketing, I think we had uh, 68 millimeter rockets, is to fire some rockets just to see how they land and some a bit of dive bombing on the on the range and then the hairiest and the funnest part was the skip bombing at 35 feet and 420 knots and that was awesome wow yeah it sounds like a i mean that must have been a lot of fun doing all that stuff in the save i mean as a young man that must have been pretty cool <laughs> absolutely so I want to talk about the cockpit. What was that environment like as a pilot? F-86 cockpit, I think, was a very uh, ergonomic kind of cockpit. You sat very high, which, in, you know, respect when I uh, think about the, the MiG-19 or even the Mirage that I flew later on, the, the visibility from the cockpit was almost like an F-16 that I never flew, I wish I did. And uh, so that was one big, big advantage. You could turn back crane your neck and you could see the the fin and uh, all, so that that was a fantastic advantage and he sat pretty high and a short guy like me that was a big advantage uh, the the cockpit itself was a very very nicely laid out cockpit basic instruments um, you know old style instruments but very very good nice so do you think uh, the aircraft was right for the Pakistan Air Force at this time Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect airplane for us. It was a mainstay for airplane. It was a cheap, well, cheap to acquire, cheap to maintain. And uh, I, I think that was the airplane, uh, very, very good choice. I don't know if you had a choice at that time, but whosoever made that choice was very, very good. And it's a beautiful aircraft, of course. It's a, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Even till today. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Up there with the Hawker Hunter. And... Um... Yeah, I just want to ask you, you probably have loads here to hear, but uh, do you have any memorable stories you can share with our viewers that stick out in your mind? On the F-86? Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, one story is, uh, you know, I was, uh, I had more than my share of uh, incidents and things happening in my, in my uh, Air Force career. So I was uh, talking about the Orenda engine, the Canadian engine. So it had I think the problem was in the uh, first two stages of the compressor, whatever. So they, in, when we converted onto the uh, F-86E with the Canada airplane, so they told us, okay, be very careful when you advance, unlike the F-86F, uh, when you advance from low pass settings or idle pass settings uh, in the air to um, be careful, don't uh, do it fast. Of course, we had kept it. So one time we, we had an exercise going on on the base and with the army gunners and ACACs, you know, everything deployed. So I was, I came in and, you know, the usual traffic pattern, you come over the runway and you pitch out and there's a mobile control, we call it mobile control, it's a pilot sitting there with the binoculars and all. 
So as I turn base, you pitch out and you come uh, make it base turn to land. So I saw my uh, uh, landing gear, my left main landing gear was indicating unsafe. I didn't have three greens. So I had two greens and a red on the right, on the left side. So it was indicating the main wheel was up. <clears throat> so of course I, I uh, told the mobile, I said, okay, I've got uh, left uh, main gear uh, indicating unsafe. And I could also feel it a little bit that it's not gone down. So I had to come down and make a kind of a low, lowish uh, go around so that he can confirm, yes, your gear is partially up or fully up or whatever. But being young and foolish and, you know, like uh, I was a uh, uh, hot rod. So I came down a bit too low, maybe about 100 feet or so. And I opened the power rapidly. And as I opened the power to go around, the compasses stalled. Now I'm just about 100 feet off the runway. The compasses stalled. So, you know, as I pulled the power back and I had no choice but to land. So I landed on the runway with this left main gear up, which I knew was up. So I quickly tried to land on the right side of the runway. And before I knew it, you know, it, uh, kind of the left wing dragged on the thing. I skidded sideways for a bit and off the runway in a huge dust of uh, cloud of dust, came to a stop. It didn't catch fire or anything. I jumped out of the airplane. I said, oh my God, so, you know. And then my uh, OC wing came in a Jeep, you know, Somebody told him, oh, this guy forgot his gears or something. He came running for it. But anyway, so that was my first incident on F-86. Wow. Lesson learned, uh, but uh, I'm sorry that I, uh, I, I, I think they put the airplane back in service. The wing had very little damage, and they uh, put it back in service a few days or weeks later. Absolutely, and later on we'll hear that um, Tahir actually has nine lives with uh, what's happened to him in, over his career. <laughs> and yeah. it's great for him to be here. But uh, yeah, so Tahir, how many hours did you get on the F-86? 86, I think all inclusive, must be just under 450 or 480 hours. Yeah, it's quite a bit. <laughs>